0: Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker.
1: Good morning, Memphis. Good morning to our friends back in the office listening to us. You're listening to Talk Money here. We're live on KWAM 990. For those of you who are regular listeners, you may recognize that this is not Jim Shoemaker. This is Jason Harrington. I'm filling in today for Jim Shoemaker. This is my chance, my Friday, to sit in the captain's chair. And uh, I could not have picked... A better Friday to be here. i got two great friends, good guys that I've been working with for a long time. Uh, to my right here, I have uh, Ted Miner. Here's one of our advisors. And uh, on the right to him is Shannon Dyson, Vice President of our Benefits Department at Shoemaker. Good morning, guys. Appreciate you all joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Jason. Well, we got a great show. we got a big show planned. We're going to be talking about a ton of stuff. And we're coming off of uh, a big week for our nation where we celebrate the 4th of July uh, I hope everyone out there had a safe, happy 4th. Lots of fireworks, lots of uh, food and swimming pools. Did you guys do anything for the 4th? Nothing. Nothing. That's actually, w- wasn't that great? Watch, fi- watch fireworks. Yeah, I, we watch fireworks, too. Speaking of fireworks, I have a uh, a fun fact for you. i got a question for you. How much do you think the consumer spent, estimated spending, on fireworks this 4th of July? How All much? consumers? All consumers, and I'll give it to you to the closest... Let's say million dollars. Okay. Well, you know I'm a specialist in that. You're area. a specialist in that area, so tell me what do you think? <laughs> I have no idea. Take
2: I a s- guess. I spent about forty five bucks, so I'm going to say maybe uh,
1: thirty million. Okay. Oh 30 goodness. million. 30 million. You, you're way off. 200 it. million. 200 million is actually a little bit closer. $800 million <laughs> spent. That's, uh, that makes me want to get in the firework business. I don't know you, you guys, but. Uh, I've been in the firework business. It's a story for another time. Okay, another time. All right. Well, we're going to have a great time. We're going to talk about several things that everybody out there listening has encountered. Everybody out there will absolutely encounter, uh, if they haven't already, everyone who has health insurance has probably been in a situation where those premiums in- increase. And, Shannon, when we spend some time together, I'm going to ask you about that. And if you don't mind, I'd like to ask a little bit about this uh, Department of Labor ruling on the overtime when we talk about uh, for the business owners out there that are listening, yep. uh, listening today. And we're going we're to do that at the top of the hour. And on the back half of the hour... Uh, Ted is going to join us and talk to us about Social Security, what are some things that we can ask about when we're looking at Social Security from a planning standpoint, what type of scenarios we may run into for either our parents or what we may come into. And so, Ted, we're going to spend some time talking about Social Security as part of a financial plan uh, as we move through that, I got another fact for you. you know, I was looking at this uh, this Brexit vote that, that was that just happened, and just to give you guys some insight on how engaged these people were in that process, seventy two point two percent of the people over there voted for just this referendum. Wow. How, how many people do you think voted the most over the last hundred years in a current election in the United States? Percentage wise. Percentage wise, fifty percent. Fifty percent? No, it was 62.8% of the in people a in the presidential election. election. Wow. And that's how engaged uh, these people were. So I am excited here to dive into uh, these guys, the, the topics that we're going to talk. But Before we do, let's just take a quick break. And when I return, I'm going to ask Shannon whether he thinks that we're going to have another rate increase on in our health insurance premium. So you're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990. I'm Jason Harrington sitting in for Jim Shoemaker.
3: Jason Harrington and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.
1: Welcome back uh, to Talk Money. This is Jason Harrington. I'm filling in for Jim Shoemaker, and I'm... Uh here visiting with two of my good friends, Ted Miner and Shannon Dyson. I'm going to start speaking here first with Shannon. Shannon Dyson is the vice president of our benefits department at Shoemaker Financial. And Shannon, I know that this is a concern for many, uh, both business owners and individuals. Over the last couple of years, the individual health insurance companies have gone up in rates, uh, everyone has experienced it. What can you predict? Uh, do you have a prediction for what we can expect here at the end of 2016 moving into 2017?
2: Yeah, so individual health rates over the last few years have gone up pretty pretty drastically. Two years ago, uh, we had an average of about 25% um, across the board on individual health plans. Last year, it was around 30 to 32%. Um, this year, Blue Cross of Tennessee, the largest health insurer in the state, uh, has asked the state of Tennessee for a 62% rate oh, increase man. on individual huh. health plans. Um, they've Each of the last two years, they've gotten what they asked for. Um, and so we'll see if the state of Tennessee approves the full 62%. Um, I have to assume that if Blue Cross is asking for a 62% rate increase, uh, they have some data to back up why they feel that they need it. So I have no reason to think that the state of Tennessee won't. Uh, accept that even though it's a very large uh, increase so that's that's kind of what we're expecting for for January of the coming year
4: Shannon those those numbers are startling I mean to anybody anybody out there that has health care when you you say those numbers it just to me it causes me to cringe yeah. a little bit <laughs> I can understand a little bit of an increase. Common. I know that yeah. medical costs have gone up but why in the world are the numbers so high
2: yeah so it's it's one of those things where the insurance carriers really when this when when the health care reform was passed uh, the two major provisions in the health reform law for individuals was that we're not going to ask health questions and there's no pre-existing conditions any longer. And so what the way that business was done in the past where insurance companies could ask an, an employee or not an employee, an individual when they were applying for insurance, what health conditions do you have? Do you have, you know, answer the qu- the cancer question, the diabetes question, they could ask those questions and then they could plan for that person. So they could say, okay, you have these health conditions. Uh, we're going to rate you up 15% or 20% or we're going to deny coverage to you altogether. Uh, when this law was passed, it pretty much put the insurance companies in the dark as far as what health conditions they were taking on. So their assumption was, well, but we'll get a, we'll get millions of more people into the system which will offset any health conditions that we're picking up, and that just
1: didn't happen. They're and trying so, to play a numbers game, and correct. it just didn't work out. Well, correct. Right? If you're just now tuning in, you're listening here to Shannon Dyson, Vice President of Benefits at Shoemaker Financial. I'm Jason Harrington filling in with Jim, for Jim Shoemaker. We're talking about your health care insurance. Uh, for those of you out there who have experienced a rate increase, Shannon just did mention here that there's an expectation for another rate increase here. Uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield has asked for a... 62% increased as Ted mentioned staggering numbers and uh Shannon we got to ask how are people going to pay for this
2: great question so so the part another part of the law um, that is pretty well known are the subsidies that are that are given out by the states there was a there was a ruling uh not too long ago by the supreme court that the states that were on the federal exchange there were some 28 to 30 states that did not open their own state exchange uh, there was some ruling. There was a question as to whether that was constitutional for them to actually give out subsidies from the states. They, it ruled that it was, so the subsidies are still in effect. So what you what you'll see is you have a lot of people that when they hear the sixty two percent rate increase coming, you cringe, right? But if you're getting subsidies right now, you're getting those subsidies based on your income, your family income, and the and the amount of people that are in your home. Uh, so if you're getting if you're paying two hundred dollars a month uh, based on your income. Even though there's a 62% rate increase from Blue Cross Blue Shield, you as an individual don't pay any more because your rate is based on your income. And so the people that are getting subsidies will not feel the increases. Mm -hmm. The people that will feel the increases are those that are making above the threshold to get a subsidy. There's no help there uh, for them. And so they will feel that full increase. And they'll have to make a lot of plan changes. Uh, They'll have to raise deductibles. They'll have to lose some benefits within their plan unless they can afford to take that increase, which... 62% 62% is, is, is pretty big. Of course, again, that's not final. That's just something that's been still, be approved. It still has to be approved. Sure. Um, and every plan won't be that much. That's kind of what the average of what they're asking now, for.
4: Now, I know you live this, right? This yes, is what you do. And, do. and one of the things you do is I know in your practice, because you've helped some of my clients, you you help people find these subsidies where they exist for certain right. conditions. Yep. But I have to show my ignorance here. Uh, wasn't this supposed to lower the cost of health care?
2: That's right. That's right. It, that's how it was sold uh, as something to lower, uh, lower price of health care. And, and it was sold that way because the assumption was if we're not asking health questions and we're not doing pre-existing conditions, we can bring in millions of more people. And if we bring in millions of more people into the health insurance industry, the law, the law of large numbers says that we're going to be able to save money overall. And the problem is that young people, a lot of the young people that they thought would come into the system, young, healthy people they just didn't come into the system. And so we still have a lot of young folks out there that are either underinsured or uninsured or have plans that don't meet requirements that are not putting money into this pool. And so when you have that, you don't you don't save the money that you think you're <laughs> going to save.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> Well, surprise. <laughs> so we we got to recruit some folks to correct. Yeah, to we need to get need into to go the, on a massive yeah, outreach massive campaign. Outreach campaign. Twenty get, to twenty-five year olds get insured. Get insured. If you're out there twenty twenty-five, come on. Let's uh, let's get you in touch with Shannon and help let's subsidize uh, my care. Let's help <laughs> subsidize this, Shannon. I mean, it, we know how that's going to affect Ted and you and me, kind of the individual, right? Purchaser of health insurance. What about small businesses? I mean, how, how are they going to be impacted by this? Those people who are providing a benefit for their right. employees. It, it
2: actually offers an opportunity, I think, for small business. A lot of small businesses and it to we were consulting with small businesses and, and suggested that they do this. A lot of them uh, a couple years ago went to offering just a subsidy themselves to give their employees so they can go out and purchase their own individual health insurance. Um, and the thought being, well, as an employer, I don't want to just choose one plan for all of my employees. I'd like for them to have choice in what they do. So I'll give each employee a couple hundred dollars a month. They go into the market, they find their own plans, everything, everybody's happy. Um, but as we're seeing over the last few years, these increases, those dollars that an employer was giving an employee are becoming much, much less compared to what the actual cost of healthcare is. And so what a lot of small employers are looking at now, well, maybe we should move back into A small group health plan because again in small groups your rates are not based on your health conditions so where you had a a small 10 person group five or six years ago they had somebody in the in the company get cancer or have a serious condition and their rates when they got a renewal the following year would be increased 40 50 60 percent so it forced those small businesses out of the market of offering a health plan they just couldn't afford it well now we're getting back to the point where it's more affordable to offer a group health plan than it is to give your employees money and let them purchase insurance on their own. So I think it's an opportunity for small employers to get
1: back into the business of offering a a group health plan. Well, that sounds great. Now, you mentioned earlier that one of the possible maneuvers that you could take into reducing some of these costs and not absorbing this full 62% would be to increase deductibles. What, yeah. uh, How high will those go? I mean, what what do you see happening there? And then is there a point in time when they go so high that you might as well just pay for it all out of your pocket?
2: Yeah, so so they did set limits. Uh, the Affordable Care Act did set limits on how high a deductible could be. And that's 6350 I believe, $6,350 okay. or $6,250. That's the maximum out of pocket okay. uh, that anyone could pay for their care. Um, but yeah, so when you when you go to write a health plan now for an individual, you kind of ask some questions. Do you have you been to the doctor a lot over the past few years? Do you have small children who may end up going to the doctor a lot? Um, and so they kind of weigh the options. Do I want to have an office visit copay? So when I go to the doctor, all I pay is twenty-five or thirty dollars, and that's it. And so you'll run into a lot of people that may have a two thousand dollar deductible. They have these copays for prescriptions and copays for uh, office visits. And what you have to look at them and say is, well, you just got a thirty five percent rate increase, so your premium just increased two hundred dollars per month. Can you afford that? If the answer is no, well, then we have to make some decisions. Maybe we'll raise that deductible from two thousand to five thousand. And will cut out copays altogether. And so you're paying for all of your care until you reach that $5,000 deductible. That may get your rate back down to where you're currently paying, but be prepared because when you go to the doctor, you get a prescription. Now you're paying a lot more out of your pocket than you were before. So it's kind of a balancing act to figure out, okay, if I was healthy the last couple of years, maybe I'll raise that deductible and just bank on the fact that I won't use it and I'll be paying less
1: money per month. Right, so still a risk management tool. Either way you look at it, you got to weigh the risk. Am I going to go to the Absolutely. doctor or not go to the doctor? Absolutely. You mentioned uh, small business. How is this going to help? Tell me, small business, define that a little bit for us. Yeah. You know, when Where is the person that's going to be, the business is going to kind of hit the sweet spot? Yeah, right? so
2: on small businesses, they're, they're defined now uh, as 2 to 50 or 2 to 49 employees. And so in that 2 to 49 employee market, uh, that's what I'm talking about when I say that small businesses are not uh, they do not have to answer health questions in order to get a small business group health plan and your rates are not based on your your individual company's uh, health history. So anywhere from two to forty nine employees. I had a, a client Adrian uh, a couple of weeks ago. He he had about twelve employees. He had not offered a health plan in the last five or six years because it was just too expensive. Um, he'd been giving his employees about $250 a month to go out and get a health plan, but he's had complaints for the last year because now the $250 that he's giving them is only covering a very small percentage of their actual premium. Uh, we put in a small group health plan for him. Now, the the money that he's giving the employees to cover their health costs, tax deductible. So they can write that off of their taxes before it was not. So that's a new write-off for for the business, and they're giving the business more of a benefit. So it really is an opportunity for small business to to come back to the small group market and take a look again.
1: What about, you mentioned no asking of health questions. That was part of, let's get the volume of people up. Do you see them ever going back? You know, can the cost be controlled if we went back into this more ask the health questions type of yeah environment? There are,
2: there's already some insurance companies popping up um, with new new health new actually new health insurance companies and companies come up with new plan offerings that do ask health questions and they're self funded. Uh, they're self-funded uh, plans, meaning that when a truly self-funded plan means the employer is paying the claims when the, when their employees go to the doctor, and the way that they do this is they buy reinsurance, uh, and so they're, they're covered. They're covering these small employers, but we're talking employees twelve, an employer with twelve employees. Talking about a self-insured plan sure. with an employer of twelve employees used to be unheard of, but the way that they package it now, you're not you're not at really any great risk as an employer. Um, but they do offer since it 's self insured they can require health questions be asked, and so that 's a big benefit for small companies who may have a young, healthy uh, workforce. They can go in, actually ask health questions, and get better pricing than what they could going into the regular market. Yeah, to
1: start taking advantage of, uh, let's lose the advantage of the law of large numbers, and let's bring it back into let's bring it back to local our, to, to our, local to our, our, our small people. company. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Yep. Well, that's uh that's interesting, Shannon. So we are talking to Shannon Dyson here about healthcare benefits. And when we come back, Shannon, I know you want to spend some time, and we want to spend some time on this. Uh, Department of Labor ruling on overtime yep. and how that's going to affect businesses. And I want to dive into that with you when we get back. But b- before we do, uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, this is Jason Harrington. You're listening to Talk Money. I'm sitting in for Jim Shoemaker here with Shannon Dyson and Ted Minor. We'll be right back.
3: Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult their tax legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security
1: Welcome back. We're glad to be back here. You're listening to Talk Money. This is Jason Harrington. I'm sitting in for Jim Shoemaker. Uh, we've been talking with Shannon Dyson, the Vice President of Benefits at Shoemaker Financial. And Shannon, I know that uh, we were talking in the break just recently. You you are a truly a special guest this morning and that you have flown in uh, <laughs> to Memphis from Santa Barbara. He committed. Uh, and yep. Yeah, you are committed to the show. I appreciate you. I like uh, to spend all my summers on the West Coast. You summer, you know, summer in Santa Cool, nice, yeah. yeah. yeah that's where I summer. That's yeah. where you summer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, can you right. give us a weather report from there?
2: Yeah, 75 and sunny, I'm pretty certain. Pretty the four, certain. The four days that I was there, it was 75 and sunny. The humidity? Zero yeah. percent, um, I think, is about what the humidity is. They don't even talk has. it out there, do no, they? No, we, okay. we, I was talking to somebody <laughs> out there, and I said, you know, I need to make enough money so I can retire here. And I said, you know, how much is real estate. What are are we talking about pricing? You know, he said, well, you know, one of these places up here on the Riviera that kind of overlook, you know the small houses; they're going for about a 1, thousand, twelve hundred a square foot. Oh, no. so you got
1: that? You okay. got that? Yeah, sure. That's no no down payment on no one. So it's no a thousand, problem. you know, a thousand square foot home, one point two million. No big deal. <laughs> All right. Well, we were talking in the break, Ted. I heard you asking uh, Shannon a couple of questions before we jump into this uh, Department of Labor ruling. Uh, I know you wanted to ask one more. I, I think with, uh, our listeners would like to hear Shannon's response to your question. So let's uh, let's ask that question. real Yeah,
4: quick. I. You know the philosophy uh, on health care. Was to try to make our nation healthier, you know, certain people that didn't have care get care, but also to encourage the checkups, which which has been shown that people who go uh, consistently to the doctor, their total long health care. Uh, cost is probably less than those who don't go sure. at all. Yeah. Well, during the last segment there, you you know you talked about the fact that hey, we're going back to to where you may get rid. You know, you may have a huge deductible. Right. And of course, I can see everybody thinking, well, if that's the case, then why I've got Why yeah. I may not want to go to the doctor because it's going to cost me. Sure. It seems to be counterproductive.
2: Yeah, it is. And the the main thing that you've got, you know, every I think that most new laws and most things that are written. I'm an optimist, so I think that they're trying to do something good, right? And so they're trying to get people to have insurance, which means if you have insurance, you're more likely to use it. The reality of the situation is when you start covering things within these plans, an example that we discussed a minute ago was pediatric vision and dental (laughs) covered under all health plans. So even if you don't have children, uh, that are under the age of seventeen, that is still included in the health plan now, why does that need to be included in health plans where people that, people that don 't have children are just adding cost um, and so the, the, you 're right on the preventive we, we need to get more people going to the doctor for preventive checkups. Uh, we need making sure, we need to make sure everybody 's getting an annual physical. We need women to do the annual well woman exam we need mammograms we need those things happening. Um, and those things can still happen even if you have a, a large deductible so that 's what we we tell clients is even if you raise your deductible, all of your preventive care is still covered at one hundred percent so don 't think that you can 't go get your annual physical don 't think that you can 't go get those things done because you can now what you said if somebody gets a cold, they may not run to the doctor that 's true uh, you, you know if you have a high deductible with no office visit copay you 're going to think about when you go to the doctor and when you don't go to the doctor. But I don't think that's a bad thing. And, and I think that health insurance has become or it became at some point um, this vehicle where anytime you go to the doctor, you pay $10 or you pay $15 and that's it. And so you're running to the doctor for small little things and you're not having to come out of your pocket. You're not feeling that. So it's just whatever, they, whatever tests they run, that's fine. And at some point, medical inflation has gotten so big that I'm going to the doctor and, and my visit is now $150 just to walk in the door. If they do an x-ray, it's $300. It's $250. Well, why? how did it get like that? I think part of the reason is because you got out of a consumer-driven process to where you is, like if you go to get an MRI or a CAT scan or if you just go get a regular x-ray done, you have no idea the actual cost of that. You see what the insurance company sends you and your explanation of benefits but you have no clue as to what it actually costs,
4: Shannon. I can remember. I'm old enough to remember back when. Uh, really, I had I didn't give any thoughts at all to health care because most of it was even played by paid by the employer, right? And didn't see bills, didn't know what the cost was. And now I do believe the direction we're going is going to make it a much more consumer type of thing where people will call around and check rates. When you start
2: and, having a high deductible and you know that you're paying out of your pocket for the first $6,000 worth of charges, all of a sudden you're calling Walgreens and you're calling Kroger and you're calling Costco pharmacies and you're checking prices on everything right. yep. to make sure that you're paying the lowest cost. I've and once done it. once these companies start seeing consumers coming in and checking pricing and seeing what's going on, it makes them be a little bit more competitive. Of course, we're in a situation now where we're so far out of the norm as far as prices, you know, when you're paying a uh, hundred dollars for a Tylenol in the hospital, we've gotten to pl- a place where things are so expensive that, it, that it's tough to do that.
1: Great question, Ted. I appreciate you sharing that with us, Shannon, a philosophy of, of health care and where we're going. But I know you want to dive into this ruling by the Department of Labor on overtime. Yes. Talk to me a little bit about that. What is uh, what are new business? On, what are our business owners out there? What are new issues yep. that are going to pop up based on this ruling? Well,
2: I think this is going to be uh, something that's that's going to be talked about a lot this fall. This this ruling is is set to take place uh, or to start December the first. Um, and just like with most things, we don't really start thinking about it until it actually is on us. And so, um, what what happened is the Department of Labor. Uh, there's a new law. Um, first let me go back and talk about how everything ran before this law was put into effect. So if you're an an employee for a company and you make, I think the number was around 23 or $24,000 a year in salary, you're not eligible for overtime unless you are, I mean, I'm sorry, you're not eligible for overtime at all. You have to complete the duties of your occupation that are listed out for you, and it is a part of you getting your salary. So you're not clocking in, you're not clocking out, you just have a salary, and as long as you get those job description done, you're good. 24000 and above. 24000 and above. Okay. So if I work 35 hours a week or if I work 50 hours a week, I'm getting paid the same amount. Right. Twenty four. If I'm making 28000 that's what I'm getting paid. Uh, what the new ruling does is it raises that what they call exempt employees uh, level from 24000 to $47,000. So now if I'm an employee making anything less than $47,000 a year and I work over 40 hours a week, my employer is required to pay me overtime. Um, and so that's just a huge ruling, huge deal for employers that have employees that they are currently salaried, um, anywhere from twenty four dollars to $46,000 a year, it affects those employers, which I would say is a large number
1: of employers across, oh, the, sure. across the country. I, I would imagine you're going to have two people hear two different things in that scenario. You're going to have what the employer hears yep. with this ruling, and you're probably going to have what the employee hears. They're probably feeling like, okay, that's awesome. I'm about to get a raise. I was
2: in a meeting uh, just a couple of weeks ago. The The final ruling was released, I think, May 16th, some, somewhere around there. Um, we were having just a small group employer meeting, and we were not talking about labor laws at all. We were talking about health insurance, you know, something else. And something came up about HR and, and different different issues, and I was talking about how we handle, you know, HR for companies. Well, An employee kind of raised his hand. He said, I read something that says that our employer is going to have to start paying us at least $47,000 a year if we're making under that. Yep. I said, no, <laughs>
1: yeah. no, that's you not, hear that's what you not, want to hear, that's you not, that's not the
2: case. Um, but it is going to, I mean, empl- employees and people are, they're going to start reading this and they're going to start having questions for their employers. Um, and employers are going to have to be prepared to answer, not, not only to answer the questions, but they're also going
1: to have to be prepared
2: to put new policies in place very quickly.
1: New policies for when they start work, when they stop work, that's going to be much more scrutinized. Yes. Because I would imagine with that big a block of employees out there, that could be an additional expense. Well, you're, to- you're
2: going to have employers have to, to invest in hour tracking software if okay. they're, if they're not currently doing that. If they're not tracking hours of employees, they're going to have to do that. Employees who are not used to clocking in, clocking out are going to have to begin clocking in and clocking out um, because we have to track hours. You can't, as an employer, you can't be put in a position where an employee can say, I worked 55 hours this week. And you have to be able to prove that, no, you didn't, or you're going to have to pay them overtime for the extra hours that they worked. And so employers are going to have to do that. Um, I mean, can you imagine you're, you've been making $35,000 a year. You you come in, to your, you're there at 8, and you leave around 5, no, no big deal there. But now you're going to have to punch a clock. Or, you know, a timesheet or something to make, to clock in when you get there and to clock out when you leave. That's a big adjustment uh, for employees that are not used to doing that. Um, And so when you're making, you know, salary wages now, we're going to say, okay, it's actually an hourly wage. And here's your hourly wage uh, per hour. And it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a perception thing, I think that's going to be a big issue as well. So it's something that I don't know that a lot of employers, I know that, that larger companies that have HR directors and HR managers, they're on top of this, but I think a lot of the smaller uh, companies out there and the, say the the two employee to, to 50, 60, 70 employees. They're probably aware of it, but just maybe not to the full extent of what they're going to have to do.
1: Yeah, these guys need to be prepared. There may be some frustrating conversations come up. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Ted Miner. I'm going to ask him the million-dollar question on Social Security. For people that are my age, 42 and under, will we get it? Will it be there? Stay tuned. You're listening to Talk Money with Jason Harrington, filling in with Jim Schumacher.
0: Please remember, investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. One cannot invest directly in an index. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Helping you make the most of your money, talk money, will return right after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the listener as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money.
1: Welcome back to Talk Money. Again, this is Jason Harrington. I'm sitting in the captain's chair for Jim Shoemaker this Friday. He will be back next Friday. For those of you listening, you'll be sure to want to join him for next friday uh, we have been talking to shannon shannon dyson vice president of benefits at shoemaker financial about health care changes health care insurance changes uh, premium increases. We talked about the impact on the individual and the business owner and also this Department of Labor ruling on overtime and how uh, how big a deal that is going to be for employers that are not prepared to have those conversations. I want to thank you, Shannon, for being here, and I want to transition the conversation over to Ted. and We, we talked a little bit about Social Security and how that in- incorporates into uh, an overall financial plan. I know for me, uh, Ted, I mentioned this right before the break. I'm 42. Uh, I deal with uh, a lot of clients my age and maybe a, a bit younger, and I know the question that I get asked all the time: Do we need to count on Social Security and our retirement planning? Will it be there? Do you have any opinion on that? Can you well, help me?
4: Well, Jason, I'm glad you started
1: with the easy question. Yeah, sorry uh, about that. I was <clears> up.
4: well. I tell you, the, first of all, the the funds. If you talk about just the numbers for a second, the the funds for for Social Security that's paid out come from a trust fund that has collected monies over the year where there have been overpayment. You know, years ago, we had 32 to 1 paying into Social Security for people collecting. Today, it's down to less than 3. So now monies are taken from that as well as monies that are taken from you when you pay your Social Security. Uh, so you got two sources of revenue. You have actually a Social Security trust fund, and we get reports consistently from the government on that fund. Well, the latest report came out, uh, uh, June the 22nd, so just two weeks ago, about that fund, and the 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 in the monies in that particular fund will be gone by 2035.
1: Okay. Whoa. Well, oh. I wanted to give you a little bit of sil- silence yeah. no. there. So that's sixteen. Uh, let's see. Sixteen years. Uh, okay. Okay. That's so, not good for me.
4: That's not good. But but that's only one source of the revenue, and so the seventy seven percent of the revenue that's needed to pay Social Security is comes in in the form of what everybody pays a year. So the fund said that basically, while that particular fund. Uh, may go to zero by 2035. And this is if there are no changes done to the fund. If it goes to zero by 2035, then there is enough revenue coming in to pay 77% of the commitments till 2090 for another 75 years. So it's not like it's going
1: broke. It's not like it's going to go away totally, but without changes there's going to be some deficit either in the fund level or in receipts from the go- to the government from uh, taxpayers today. And right? today there needs to be some changes. There needs to be changes. So you mentioned changes. Tell me some of the changes. What kind of changes do you think or would you suspect or what kind of changes out there are they talking about out there in the Social Security?
4: Well, there's, there's two things that the Social Security Trust Fund or the trustees actually said in their report. Uh, one was that the funds the funds could be fully funded if they raised the Social Security tax from 12.4%. You know, most employees pay half of that, and their employers pay the other half, 6.2, is raised from uh, 12.4 to 14.98%. If that was done, uh, then they could fully fund it for another 75 years. Or if you're not going to raise the capital coming in, what do you have to do?
1: you got to lower what you're paying out you,
4: you got to lower what you're paying out so or the other alternative to that would be to lower the immediate uh, compensation of the benefit by sixteen percent, and it would uh, fund the Social Security for the next uh, seventy five years but there 's a number of variables that can change uh, you and I you know as plus planners as financial planners, one of the biggest things that we talk about today that that people don 't talk about uh, that don 't realize when they start doing retirement planning and financial planning is. The issue of longevity. And that is one of the things that has not affected the Social Security at all. When the Social Security system started in 1935, 80 years ago, full retirement age was 65. Well, here we are 80 years later. Full retirement age has gone from 65 to 67. It's changed two years. And the average life expectancy of a human being has changed changed 15, 17
1: years. 20 years, yeah. So it's it's not extending out at the same pace that longevity is exactly. increasing. So and so, it,
4: so you would think that the, the rationale would be actually maybe change the benefits, you know, change the time from the benefits. If you change another two years, another three years, that's another variable that would go into sustaining those funds for a longer period of time.
1: So there are some options, but it sounds like all the options are going to create some scuttlebutt out there. I mean, you reduce my, you reduce my payment, that's not going to make me feel too good. You increase my taxes. That's not going to make me feel too good. You make me work longer. There, I'm ready to go to retire tomorrow, <laughs> so you make me work longer. That's not, so There, there's some opportunities out there, but some things to be prepared for for us who are thinking about that because there will have to be some changes. And I do,
4: like. I do think there is one other underlying reason that you can count on something, and that is that there are an awful lot of voters uh, or taxpayers That are paying into Social Security
1: that do vote that do vote yes so we will make sure we are voting.
2: Sounds like they're going to have to have the government's going to have to hire some very good salespeople to pitch this to the American public. So Jason, if you want to go apply, I I think you might be pretty good for that. I
1: don't I don't know that I want to have the job of trying to sell people on raising their taxes or reducing their income. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to be right back. But but when we do, Ted, we've been talking about 42 and under. I want to talk about the people that are older. What are, what are they going to deal with, those who are approaching retirement? Uh, so let's talk about that when we get back. If you're listening, you're listening here to Talk Money with Jason Harrington, filling in with Jim Shoemaker. And Ted Miner here is going to talk to us about what do you do with Social Security and your planning when you get back.
0: This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after
1: this. All right, we're back here. Talk Money here live on KWAM 990. I'm here talking with Ted Miner about Social Security uh, we talked a little bit about those who are in my generation, forty-two and under. Will it be around? But I know that you're dealing with a lot of folks that are fifty-five and greater. They're moving into that re- pre-retirement planning. Is Social Security a plannable event? I mean, is there? What do you do when you're dealing with Social Security and financial planning?
4: Well, I think first of all that for people fifty-five and over, we do have a good deal, uh, a good deal of information, and we're able to plan about what they're. Uh, benefits will be over that period of time, and certainly the parameters around their their lifestyle, whether when we look at their assets and some of the other things that they want to try to achieve in their retirement. So, it is one of the first things that
1: we actually look at. Well, I know that. Uh, do Do you find that people are having the conversation enough out there about Social Security, or what are they doing?
4: No. Uh, usually, when someone sits down with me the first time, they've they just figure it's just going to happen. Uh, my mom and dad took it at 65 or 66, and I'm going to take it at that age, and they, they really don't even have an indication a lot of times as to how much that money is going to be or the choices that they have when they, when they take that or how it impacts things for them.
1: So why, why do you think that they aren't talking about this uh, with the, either an advisor in the past or you know, why do you think that this is such a, a mystery to folks when they're coming into you? Why are they not talking about
4: it? Well, one of the reasons they're not talking about it is because it's just not something before them. I, I mean, I have people come in as late as uh, a year before retirement. And they come in with the idea, hey, I'm taking Social Security next year. What do I need to do? Uh, they have no idea of how much Social Security makes up of their income. The, the uh, Social Security Administration, for the average person, uh, it makes up about 40% of their, their revenue during retirement. So it's a significant it's a significant nugget of that retirement. Absolutely. Income. It's a big part of that. And so what we try to do, Jason, is certainly when we're we're dealing with the client is sit down with that person and try to maximize that benefit. Try to educate them a little bit on uh how their decisions impact the revenue that they have coming in, try to maximize that. You
1: said maximize it. Tell me what kind of depending on the decisions they make, I know you can take it at different times. What what's kind of numbers are we looking
4: well, at? Well, probably the big number. I, this is probably the biggest number I've come up with in an illustration. But if you're working with a couple, uh, I've seen decisions that can impact a couple by as much as $300,000 over the course of retirement. Let's say a 20-year, 20 25-year retirement.
1: Okay. So it can, it can be very, very significant. Some serious money there, right. Okay, that's that's, uh, that's for real. And I know, Ted, that uh, you do a lot of speaking around the, the city of Memphis on uh, social security. And right. for those who are mm-hmm. out there listening, that maybe you know, I know we're only going to get to talk about this a bit here on the radio show today, but if, if they wanted more information, do you have any upcoming events, uh, yeah. seminar events that they may want to be interested in?
4: Yes, Jason. I, I periodically do seminars and a lot of times I do them there at the firm. I'm going to be doing one in September. Haven't really picked a date for it yet, but I would encourage anyone that if they're interested in this information is certainly a there's certainly no cost, no obligation to, to come into that and get any information. It takes about an, hour, it's about an hour presentation, and uh, they can call the number there, uh, 757-5757, and just say, I want to leave my name for the Social Security the seminar in September. Uh, leave a telephone number or an email address, and we'll uh, make sure they know when that's uh, taking place.
1: So if you're out there, you're listening, you want to know more information, make sure you call 757-5757. Talk to Jenny at the front desk, tell her that you want to be put on the contact list or the mailing list, and they'll get that information. So, uh, Ted, if I called you today and I wanted to go through uh, uh, some Social Security planning or some financial planning, what what can I expect?
4: Well, if if I'm sitting down with an individual, one of the things that we would do is to to look and uh, we would take an inventory of their assets. Uh, We would look at the assets and we would try to see how those are going to be planned out during retirement. We would also look at their Social Security options. We'd look at the strategies they have. If they're married, there's actually strategies that are involved with spouses, and they need to be aware of that. So you've got a choice. Here's one example, one quick example. If a person takes a benefit at 62 versus, say, 70, 62 is earliest as they can take it unless they're a widow, Uh, 70 is as late as they can take it. The difference for the same person uh, taking it uh, at those two periods of time is 76% in cash flow. Otherwise, it would be $750. If, if they had a PIA, which is the amount of money they would be paid at full retirement age, full retirement age, if you consider that to be 66, they take it early, it's reduced 25%. So that's $750. If they wait to 70, it goes up 32%. So the difference at 62 750. At age 70, it's $1,320. That is a 76% increase. And that's without COLAs. That you do get with Social Security, so it can be very significant from a standpoint of cash flow in uh, in your retirement. And really, the numbers are if you if you live past eighty two, which the odds are you, that you that you could that you would, if you're sixty two sixty five already, that uh, you should take your your uh,
1: retirement benefits at age seventy. So waiting to take it till age seventy can be a seventy six percent increase. And your cash flow in retirement. That's a big number. That is a big number, something to think about. I guess that lends to the to the reason that you need to plan to try to do something to float your expenses until you're age 70. I know a lot of people out there are worried about that. I know a lot of people may also be worried about taxes. How is Social Security taxed?
4: Well, the other thing about Social Security is there's two really important things about it that make it different income than regular income. Number one is the COLA. Uh, you, you you get a cost-of-living adjustment with that income. And number two is is that Social Security is never fully taxed. So there's always at least 15% of Social Security that's never taxed. So maximizing the Social Security dollar is one of the biggest things that we try to do because that $1 Social Security is worth more than $1 of other revenue because of the taxation and because
1: of the cost-of-living adjustments that come every year with that. Every year increase. Well, you've been listening to Ted Miner here on... KWM 990, Talk Money, Shannon Dyson, Vice President of Benefits at Shoemaker. Guys, great show. Thank you for being here. Uh, I want to say a special thanks here to uh, to John McCormick, who's here operating our board. I uh, want to talk a little bit to uh, thank you to Francis Fortner, our guest and content coordinator, Eleanor Moskowitz, our production assistant. Uh, I am Jason Harrington, filling in with Jim Shoemaker. He'll be here next week. Uh, every week, each and every Friday, we are here, uh, we are here talking money, helping you make the most of your money, and we're here helping you out. So you tune in next week as we leave you with a happy Friday. Remember, we are helping you make the, to talk money, helping you make the most of your money. <laughs>
3: Jason Harrington and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Jamaica Financial is independently owned and operated. Serving
0: Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas, the latest news stories are here. here. This is AM 990, KWAM Memphis.